This podcast is recorded on the traditional lands of the Kamaregal people of the Gurungai tribe of the Eora Nation. I pay my respect to elders past, present and emerging, and I extend that respect to all Aboriginal and Torres Strait Islander peoples who may be listening. Hi, my name's Luan and this is the Rewritten Mead podcast, where I talk all things breast reconstruction after a mastectomy. Because let's say it like it is, having a mastectomy can be devastating. Sifting through all the information is overwhelming, the medical jargon's bamboozling, and it can be just plain scary and lonely. But you're not alone. That's why we're here. On the Rewritten Me pod, I talk to leading surgeons about all aspects of reconstruction. Nipples, belly buttons, foobs, Dieppe flap, and staying flat. I also talk to healthcare professionals who can help with everyday practical advice to support your mental, physical and emotional well-being. And I talk to the wonderful women from our reconstruction community who so generously share their stories with you. We're all here to help you make an holistic, informed decision that's right for you so that you can have a say in how you rewrite your story. Hi everyone, welcome back to Rewritten Me. I love talking to our wonderful community. I feel honoured that they share their stories so openly with me and you about one of the most scary times in their life. They share their stories to help other women who are diagnosed with breast cancer or have an increased hereditary risk of cancer. Because hearing the stories of women with a lived experience of reconstruction can give insights into what it's really like on a personal level, exercise and recovery or going back to work or looking after the kids. And hearing their stories can also give hope and bring joy. Oh, I thought I was going to get through this a little bit further before I started with the happy tears, but it's kind of starting now already. <laughs> because today I am so happy to be talking to Natasha Couchy. Natasha was diagnosed with breast cancer in 2018, but recently she became a mama when she welcomed Oliver AJ into the world. So I'm so thrilled to say... Good afternoon, Tash. How are you? I'm good, thank you. Thank you for having me. Oh, you're so welcome. I'm so thrilled that you could you could join us, particularly, um, you'll talk a little bit about it, I'm sure, but juggling work and um, being a mama. Um, I'm just so thrilled that you are open to sharing your story with everybody. So thank you. Thank you so much. I really am honoured to have you on here. So firstly, I wondered if you could share a little bit about your diagnosis um, and a bit about your background, what you're doing now. Yeah, sure. Um, so I was diagnosed end of 2018 with um, stage three triple negative breast cancer. Um, at the time, I was traveling Europe and the UK with my hubby. And funny enough, we went on the trip because life was short and you don't know what's around the corner. Um, I had lost my dad basically three years to the date that I found my lump to a rare type of cancer and that was the incentive to go and um, travel and make the most of life and then unfortunately at the end of that trip I um, found a lump um, that ended up unfortunately maybe fortunately being breast cancer so um, it happened really quickly it grew from the size of a pea to a cricket ball so it was seven by nine by nine centimeters um, in the space of about two months so, yeah, it was quite aggressive. Um, I was misdiagnosed at the start just because of my age and they thought it was just a cyst and that was overseas. And then I got home and I was still dismissed by my GP 
even though she'd sent me for the ultrasound, it came back inconclusive. Um, and so unfortunately, well, unfortunately, unfortunately, again, you know, I think it's such a shame that these things have happened, but, um, I'm so fortunate of breast cancer because it's led me to beautiful people like yourself. So, um, you know, it's sort of like a catch-22. So when I came back to Australia, I was also dismissed by my own um, GP who, even though she sent me for a scan, the scan was inconclusive. Um, That scan was an ultrasound. And she suggested to wait until after Christmas because this was early December and a lot of surgeons go away over the Christmas break. So she said, wait until after Christmas and then in the new year, probably end of January, early Feb, when everyone's getting back into work um, to check it out because she didn't think it was anything sinister. And I went home and I knew in my own body that something was really wrong. And so I just did it, took, you know, took it upon myself to do my own research and I found six surgeons and that I felt comfortable with. And three of them out of six would only see me because I didn't have a scan and because I, um, because my age, so they didn't think it was anything serious. And, um, I owe my life to my surgeon because I remember her receptionist picking up the phone and saying, do you think it's serious? And I said, I've just got back from a year of traveling. I've got lots of friends to see and it's Christmas time. It's festive. The last thing I want to do is go and see and spend my time in a breast clinic. So yeah, I do think it's serious. And she said, right, coming in two days time, I saw her, my surgeon said, right, I'd hate to say this more or less, but I think it's breast cancer. And at the time I actually was really relieved because I was like, an answer? I kind of knew that this was going to happen to the point where when I found my lump, I rolled over and I said to my husband, we're in bed. And I said, "Um, I think it's cancer. And he thought was like, you know, let's just take it one step at a time, you know? Yeah. Um, Yeah. So yeah. And so yeah, long story short, it was. And um, yeah, so I was diagnosed um, in December 2018 with triple negative, um, yeah, stage three breast cancer. And okay. yeah, so I can talk about my treatment, um, uh, you know, pathway, but to answer your question at the start of what I'm doing now, um, because of all that, I'm mm. specialized in Fedema Physio, which I love, and um, cancer coach, um, and mm. also Pilates instructor. So I use my previous knowledge as a physio and Pilates instructor in helping women. Um, get their body moving and finding their new normal and helping them with the the long list of ramifications that surgery radiation chemo leave you with so Mm. yeah I feel like I can um help women from a lot of different aspects um not only just physical but mental as well which I find really rewarding yeah yeah I find it amazing that you've moved into that work and I can uh, be testament to that as well because I was thinking about the workshop that we did during yeah. lockdown yeah, uh, with you, you and uh, yeah with uh, you and Ronnie do you remember yes thank um, you so much yeah which was a it was yoga lattes was that yeah. right am I pronouncing yeah, yeah. that right yeah. yeah um and that does bring a unique perspective to it isn't that we've got amazing allied health professionals who 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 don't have a history of breast cancer and they are amazing but when you do have that lived experience I do think it does bring another perspective to that so thank you for all that work that you do Tash. No thank you. And you mentioned chemo there as well as part of you know some of the fallout we need to deal with from chemo and radiotherapy um, after we have finished treatment. What was your treatment path? Yeah sure my treatment path was because it was so large so it was like seven by nine by nine centimeters um, mm. they wanted to shrink the tumor 
first so that the surgery wouldn't be so invasive. So the idea was to have new adjuvant dose-dense chemotherapy, so that's double the dose um, and, yeah, hit me hard basically. (laughs) Um, So that's what they did. And so I had five and a half months of chemotherapy. Every two weeks I had a double dose. And then at the end of that, the idea was see how we're tracking and then surgery and then radiotherapy. And I remember sitting in the chair and unfortunately I lost my dad to his battle. And I, that was one thing that when I was diagnosed, I said, we're both not going to lose. Like I'll win this for both of us. And I said to my surgeon, you won't be able to find it. You won't be able to find the cancer after all the chemotherapy. Uh, I really do think she was like, oh, yeah, okay. <laughs> She's really positive. <laughs> um, but that's exactly what happened. So, um, wow. yeah, I do believe in the power of manifestation. I know it's not everyone's story, but um, I'm lucky that it was mine and I'm a very positive person, but I do a lot of work behind that. You know, I, I do have my down days. I'm normal. <laughs> I'm human. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so I had the five and a half months of chemotherapy, which shrunk it so quickly to the point where they had to put a tracker in so that when they had surgery, when I had surgery, they could find where the cancer was. And then I had a, 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 by, oh, sorry, a single mastectomy with an implant reconstruction at the same time mm-hmm. and auxiliary node clearance. That was on my left side. And then I, after, I think, about four weeks, then I had 25 rounds of radiotherapy to the chest wall. Mm-hmm. And then about six months later, just because of personal preference, I just wanted out of sight, out of mind, got the other mm-hmm. side done as well. Yeah, yes. Yeah. So you elected to have the other breast removed and you got implants in both breasts. Is that right? You Correct. had implant and then uh, radiotherapy um, yeah. on the on the, uh, on the, the cancer side. Yeah. 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 Okay. So... You've now had a, not at the same time, but you had it delayed bilateral mastectomy with implant reconstruction. Yes. And and when did you complete all that, all your surgeries then, Tash? So it was, so diagnosed December 2018 and February 2020 was my last mm. surgery. Okay. So that's just over, that's just yeah. over three, three years ago, isn't it? Yeah. 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 Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so being a really a young woman with that diagnosis, a lot of women need to consider fertility, consider what their options planning going forward. And it might not even be something that they've started to think about or anything like that. Was there that a discussion with your with your team at the time of diagnosis as to what your options might be? Yeah, I'm really fortunate that it was. And I do remember sitting in that chair. And so it was the Monday, um, I should know the date, I think it was the 17th of December, because um, I remember sitting in the chair on the Monday and she said, right, you're booked in Friday to start chemotherapy. And that was the 21st. I don't know if I've done my maths right. I just remember 21st. It was a Friday that that's when I started my chemotherapy. Mm-hmm. And she said, right, so it's Monday. Tomorrow you've got your fertility doctor. Wednesday you might have surgery. Thursday at the latest. And then Friday you'll start chemo. And I was just like, <laughs> I remember looking at her and I said, fertility, scrap that. Like, I, I don't want to know about that right now. It's not on my horizon. Mm-hmm. I just want to, I just want to be alive. But I'm grateful that she did push for it and push for me to at least go to the appointment because mm. I didn't have much option, um, many options, I should say, because of the time frame. So mm. any egg freezing, you know, any harvesting on that front, need you need two to four weeks apparently um, so that your body can heal and rest and so forth. But because I was starting in two days' time, um, I didn't have that. So... I did go to that appointment and they gave me the option. The only option was do nothing and just see if your body naturally can 
or pregnant or mm. um but because I was having the dose stamps they sort of think seem to think it might not happen um mm. or um have what they call ovarian tissue freezing so there'd been one baby at that time born in Melbourne the only hospital I think in the world at that time that could have that um process happen so um what they did was what they call a partial ovarian resection. So they take part of your ovarian tissue and they freeze it. And then the idea is they put it back in um, to stimulate your ovaries. So hopefully you can fall pregnant um, down the track if that's, you know, on the cards. But the the big clause was they really were, can, uh, they, they were quite adamant, to be honest, that I had the BRCA gene or one of the BRCA genes mm. or some gene mutation because of my dad's history and my young age. So they said, you're going to go through all that surgery, possibly for nothing, because if you do have that gene, legally, we can't put that tissue back into you and you'll probably have to have your ovaries out. And so I just, I don't know, my gut instinct again, I just said, I just, I was like, I don't have the gene and I'm going to have to be fine. I'm going to be able to fall pregnant. Like, I don't know what you guys are talking about. So could be, you could say denial. I just think, I don't know, a gut instinct that I had. And I'm so glad to not listen to them because as scared as I was that Tuesday at 5 p.m. I had the appointment with the fertility doctor and she was, I think, shell-shocked at my story. And I remember she was so kind. She even gave me her personal mobile to um to call her that night if I changed my mind. But she put me first on the list the next morning because she's like, you need as much recovery before you start chemo. So right. I need to operate on you as soon as possible if you're going to go ahead with this. So I said yes. And so Wednesday morning operated on um, they got the tissue out. They found that I had end-stage endometriosis, <laughs> which I never oh, wow. knew about. So she, I actually have two scars. And I remember I went to go and see her after I had my first chemotherapy to get the stitches, I think, changed or removed. I can't even remember. And she said, oh, were you wondering why you have two holes? And I said, honestly, woman, that's the last thing on my mind right now. I said, oh, yeah, I've got two little... I don't know, was I not supposed to? She goes, no, we just need to get one ovary, but you were so scarred up on one side with your endo that we couldn't get anything out. So luckily your other side, we could get some tissue. I was like, oh, my God, just add that Mm. to the list. (laughs) So, yeah, yeah, I'm grateful that we did have that. Um, I did have that option, Um, yeah, just in case, you know. Yeah, and that was was tissue freezing, wasn't it? Correct. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, that is amazing, isn't it? Because that's kind of like your, your, your team advocating for you before you knew what options were available or yeah. almost like they're you know being patient advocates as, as doctors yeah. which I think is amazing my surgeon is fantastic like it's because of her that all of this happened I just remember mm. she even said she called she arranged um my oncologist and she said you're going to be expecting a call I think it was the Tuesday so she's like you know tomorrow so-and-so is going to call you that evening you got an appointment with so-and-so she's your fertility doctor and I was like this is it was actually really good for someone to do all of that um Mm. yeah so I'm really grateful for her for organizing and being like you said an advocate for my health an advocate for us yeah because we have no idea do we when we're (laughs) this kind of overwhelmed and then you've had the endometriosis thrown into the mix that you weren't aware of then that's (laughs) such a lot to deal with about your health isn't it so so that's 2018 when you've had your tissue frozen and then you've carried on through your five and a half months of chemotherapy. Then you've had your surgery, radiotherapy, and more surgery, which has brought you then to 2020 when you've had your final final surgery. So as I mentioned in the introduction, you had an arrival um, earlier this year. Is that right? Yeah. I'm trying to think of the timelines now. <laughs> when, 
When did Oliver arrive Earthside? 15th of March. (laughs) 15th of March. And it's Oliver AJ, isn't it? What's the AJ for? Oh, good question. Um, Actually, it's it's, it's just interesting because um, we didn't think many people would ask this. So thank you for asking. It actually stands for um, Antonio John. So my dad's first name was Antonio, even though he went by Tony and my father-in-law's name is John. So that's the AJ. I love it. I love it so much. So... So he came aside in March. So then thinking back to you've had your tissue frozen at the end of 2018. We have Oliver here in 2023. When did you start thinking, okay, I want to, I want to explore those kind of um, options that I have for getting pregnant and let's revisit what happened with the tissue and things like that. When did you start to think, okay, I want to start to bring, a little bubber into the world and and look at you know what options were available after treatment yeah sure it is actually due to my surgeon I'm sorry my oncologist that um this all happened because um 2020 2022 the beginning of 2022 she asked me um what my thoughts were with fertility and I said oh no no not yet I'll just get into thick of business and everything was going great I said no another year or two like let's just push this off a little bit further she said oh Tash like you know you're getting on (laughs) in the nicest way possible but also not so much my age but you could say so but it was more to the fact that I'd already been through menopause and Mm -hmm. I had got my period back so I was menstruating um but we didn't know how long for. So I was at high risk of early menopause. And so she said, you know, it might be a good idea just to go and check in with that fertility doctor and have some blood tests and just see where you're at. I said, yeah, that can't be, that can be harmless. Why not? So Mm. I went ahead and did those bloods, which revealed that perhaps I wasn't early (laughs) menopause. And then I got the ball rolling really quickly. (laughs) So um, Mm. the idea was my idea as well as the fertility doctors was to create an egg bank. So Mm -hmm. get a few eggs up my sleeve. I was told it was a one in three chance more or less with an egg. So, you know, in my head, just a nice number. I said, Oh, I'd like 10 because, you know, it's just, and it sounds crazy because it could be 10 babies or it could be three babies. Like you don't, you don't know Mm -hmm. these things or it could be no babies, you know? So I said, um, let's go through that process and just see, where it takes us so we went through IVF which was grueling like Mm. I know a lot of women have to go through it before they start chemo Uh, if they don't have to sorry they can go through it um Mm. if they're young and and whatnot and I just think that's oh I I can't imagine going through it when you're faced with a diagnosis because it was so horrible like the side effects of that let alone you're about to go through chemotherapy and yeah it was it was awful um Anyway, long story short, we did two rounds. The first round, we sounds horrible, but I actually forget. But I think we got three eggs and two survived. No, four eggs and two survived, something like that. So very small numbers. Um, you know, the average person would get seventeen to thirty of some of my age, something like that. I was told. So I was like, wow, that's not many at all. And so they sort of wanted me to go. The doctor said, you know, every month you can try, but I'm a firm believer in the body, and we're not. You know, you shouldn't just like just do it again and pop pop pump you sorry with all these hormones and just it's just not natural and so I said no I give my body three months to rest and we'll try again so I did that I did a lot of holistic um work alongside it to try and boost my egg supply 
And then, you know, unfortunately we got two eggs that time and none of them survived or none of them fertilized. So it became really daunting because perhaps the possibility that I might not be able to conceive was sort of there. So um, I, I sort of, and I was quite stressed about it to be quite honest with you. It was something that I, you could say I was in denial about it. I just thought it was, would happen. Like, back to that first time when I was diagnosed you know and so I was like oh maybe this is what they're talking about Mm. so I actually let everything go and I would just I just said let's just live like if we're meant to have a kid we're meant to whatever I'll try again another couple months I think I was gonna give myself five or six months just to break free from it and just to live then you wouldn't read about it but it wasn't I think it was nearly like two months six to eight weeks later um yeah it happened naturally so um yeah super excited like over the moon my husband almost like fell off his chair he was like they said it wouldn't happen (laughs) I was like I know and I remember I had a funny feeling about it I said to him again my gut instinct and I said do you think I'm pregnant I feel off and what the snow at the time and he said no they said it couldn't happen like you know it wouldn't happen I said we weren't at the snow. Sorry, that sounds really horrible. At the time when I fell off, I should say, like, anyway. Mm-hmm. And um, <laughs> and he said, yeah, it wouldn't happen, yada, yada, yada. And I just went along and did the tests and got different brands just in case. And all mm. of them were positive. And I was like, I knew it. I knew it. <laughs> so he came home from work and it wasn't a great day for him. And I said, oh, I've got a bit of a present. I remember him thinking, or he's saying, he was like, Tash, that's so lovely. That's so thoughtful of you. And I was laughing so hard inside. And I said, oh, this is going to be the best present you ever receive. I'm like this. And I'm I'm literally talking to him him like this. And I said, this one's with you for life. You would never read about it. And he still had no idea. And then he opened up the card and he's like, what? So, yeah, it was so beautiful. (laughs) Yeah. it's Oh, it is. It's absolutely amazing, isn't it? Like you said, you wouldn't wouldn't read about it. (laughs) like you were getting stressed about it and been told it wouldn't happen. And I, you know, I love that you were like, no, I feel off. There's something, there's something <laughs> here that I kind of like, you, you kind of knew. Um, I just think it's an amazing story. I just love it so, love Thank it so you. much. Thank you so much. It, it, it just really is, isn't it? It's just, um, it is absolutely joyful. Thank um, you. That, 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 that would, that would happen. And, and that would, you, you know, after and being prompted by the oncologist as well I'm loving this holistic approach that you've got with your team where it's like oh come on come on Tash we, you need to just <laughs> crack on a little bit you know you you know you, <laughs> your body's different than what it might be for yeah. somebody who hadn't been through treatment and they really knew that and were yeah. advocating again for you um so yeah what a wonderful like imagine him opening the card and just like <laughs> mind blown so yeah and I, I was looking at your Instagram the other day with the um the little um the little image, the scan that you had of um Oliver and is he sucking his thumb or something yeah, like that? He looked yeah. like it and I'm like, oh my god, just look at him. <laughs> and he's funny enough, I think the last week just discovered his thumb. So he's he, doing he's it gonna... again. <laughs> now yeah, on the outside like, world. <laughs> yeah, I, I've missed that thumb. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just kick up. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it's so gorgeous. Um and then, so we, we, we hear that Oliver's on his way and how did, how was pregnancy for you with changes to your body that uh, every woman has, but also you've had a reconstruction. So your, 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 your chest area is, is different. Did you feel anything? What did your team say to you about what to expect? Did they guide you in any way? 
I didn't really ask to tell you the truth until I think I was like six months pregnant or something. I had my checkup and I was like, surprise. And my <laughs> surgeon was over the moon. She's so beautiful. Um, and yeah, she was really happy for me. And I said, I had actually experienced my pregnancy itself was pretty good. Just the usual mm-hmm. morning sickness. Um, and I had actually experienced with my reconstruction. Um, I can't remember when it started, but it was for most of the pregnancy. Um, really bad neuralgia um around my nipples so nipple pain and um I already had the numbness and the loss of sensation so that was already there it did heighten I'd probably say a little bit um but it was the pain was excruciating it actually felt like um like pins around my nipple to the point where I had to walk around this is so random you think you forget what's normal you know and you know those the hot warmers that you use for the the snow the hand warmers Yeah. yeah, yeah. So I literally, and it was summer when I was pregnant. I had to have them all the time with me, and I would shove them down my, um, yeah, <sighs> tops, and I would heat my nipples up, and that's the only thing that gave me relief. Like, no painkillers, nothing. It was just I need heat on them. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> such a random thing. Ex- it is random. How did you come up with that solution? It was was that a recommendation <sighs> from somebody, or did you just figure it out and think, I you know think- what, I need a bit of heat? Yeah, I think I figured it out with um, the heat pack. Like I was using the heat pack. I don't know why. I don't know, pain being a physio, like heat or ice, you know, and um, ice definitely, they they were cold. That's the other thing. They were really cold, like like mm. the coldest. They would even go blue. Like it was weird. Yeah, it's such a weird thing what pregnancy can do mm. to something like that, you know. And so, yeah, I showed my surgeon and she suggested to do exactly what I was doing. So I was like, oh, I'm already onto them. I had them in my bag and I whipped them out. <laughs> um, but yeah, apart from that, I can't say anything else um, paid up. So that was really yeah. handy. Yeah. I remember then- actually, sorry, I was going to add, I remember asking my surgeon, so will I have any milk? Like, because I've got a double implant. Um, I said, will I be able to have, you know, even colostrum, any of it? She said, if you do, we haven't done our job properly. And I'll never forget those words. I was like, oh, okay, well, this will be interesting. And yeah. you know what? Nothing was there. No. <laughs> so there was nothing. Job well done. Job well done. So, yeah, there's a big tick for that for that with regards to the surgeon. And so you, you've got those bodily changes that are happening. So you had a nipple-sparing mastectomy. Sorry, is yes. That, is that right? Yes. Yeah. yeah. And um, got those changes happening to your body and... I just love that kind of the heat pack solution to that. <laughs> and that was about six months. And then thinking about Oliver's arrival, he how did he arrive? Because he, he, he came rather quickly, did he not? Yeah. So I had, I, funny enough, was a 36-week old baby. And mm-hmm. um, no, wait, is that right? 36? Yes. Um, so I was early. And I had the feeling that he was going to be a 36-week old baby. But, you know, that doesn't necessarily go to plan. And anyway, long story short, I'd finished work on the Thursday and I was getting quite big and uncomfortable. And then the, actually that week I was really sick, really unwell, blood pressure all over the shop. My OB was just keeping a really close eye on me. And the Thursday I went into work, probably shouldn't have, but it was just nice having closure because I knew it was going to be my last day. And it was just, you know, to put that to rest. And I have a side baking business and um, I had a huge cake. Um, on the Saturday it was a two tea cake which I never do but I was doing it for a friend of a friend and I don't know why I took it on but I did <laughs> and I did 
I took it on and it almost broke me. And I'll never forget they picked it up Saturday, 5 p.m. And we have this lovely um, wall art that we wanted to put up on. We didn't know if it was a boy or girl, so the baby's nursery. And my husband said, come on, we'll just do it. We'll be an hour. Like it won't take us long. Two and a half or three hours later, we're there. And I said, I think we'd had dinner by then. I said, I've got to go to bed. Like I'm exhausted. And I went to bed and you wouldn't read about it again because literally an hour, um, yeah, an hour after I fell asleep, my waters broke. And I was like, no way. <laughs> and so I ran to the bathroom. And by then my husband had, I think he'd been, he, I think he'd gotten sick of me just saying, Dan, can you get me water? Because we had two, we've got upstairs and downstairs. And it was so hard to get up, you know, up and downstairs quickly if I yeah. put a glass of water or whatever it was, or some night tablets or whatever I was taking. And um, yeah, I remember going to the toilet and I was like, <gasps> and I remember he didn't roll over or say anything because he was probably like just pretend he's asleep or he's the nicest guy ever I don't mean to paint a bad picture but I can only imagine how much I did use him um utilize him I should say while yeah. I was pregnant and I went to the bathroom saw it definitely was not urine and was like no this is not happening I need this rest I was so exhausted so I went back to bed in denial about it and I was like nope nope we, we're going to sleep we better have a good sleep literally not even like 30 seconds had this gush and I was like oh gosh and so I ran to the toilet and I screamed out I was like Dan my waters are broken he's like what <laughs> so next thing you know um we went to this um we went to the hospital because it was through a private hospital and yeah and they had to check that it was waters breaking and that it wasn't urine because apparently a lot of women get it fixed up but they confirmed it was definitely waters broken it wasn't supposed to happen yet but he was ready he came mm. um he you know, I think most women go into it's funny so only 20% of women of women's waters break and 80% of them go into labor and I was like this kid is not gonna go in watch in 24 hours he would not go into labor I just had this feeling and he didn't <laughs> he said cooking and so I was like you're a 20 percenter <laughs> um but yeah so he said cooking and they were going to induce me within the week if I didn't um go naturally but I went naturally but unfortunately he was tachycardic and so which means his heart rate was really elevated so mm -hmm. they were like for his safety and we don't know what's going on they thought perhaps because my waters had broken three or four days earlier that mm. we both or one, one of us had an infection and mm. so they're like we need to get him out so we went mm. in for an emergency Caesar so I'd started naturally but they were like we don't have time so yeah yeah so Addy came it was it happened all so quickly mm. <laughs> and so I feel like it with me it's sort of like my diagnosis that happened so quickly and all of it was yeah. just the same yeah. so yeah. yeah and he came out he was 2.95 kilos 51 centimeters tall that's quite a decent sized baby for four weeks early yeah. so yeah. <laughs> he was he was cooked he was ready yeah. he was ready to come out yeah yeah um, yeah and um I'm going to say this because he is on your Instagram, so I could say this. There is a most gorgeous photograph of him <laughs> and, and, and you, or your little family lamb, um, from when he when he was born, just not long after, which is absolutely absolutely stunning. So thank you. So, so you had an emergency C-section then, and so how long were you in hospital, and what was that like with regards to you know thinking as a as a breast cancer patient, or you had been a breast cancer patient, and as you mentioned, you know, you, you'd said that you couldn't breastfeed. Um, just trying to think about what options that you had there or had you planned or what you'd considered bef 
before you went into hospital and what was it like once you were in there about breastfeeding and sort of all that kind of care? Yeah, sure. My maternity leave that didn't happen was supposed to be the time where I did a lot of this research. Um, (laughs) So I'm glad I sort of had a good inkling of what I wanted beforehand and I sort of had started Mm. to um, investigate throughout the pregnancy. But basically Mm. I was pretty adamant that I did want to use um, or did want to use donated breast milk. It was just a matter of sourcing it, which was really tricky I found. Like the Red Cross only donate it to babies less than 26 weeks or I think those in NICU or I can't remember it was basically I wasn't eligible so Mm. um I had to there's a charity that you can buy from or it was just sourcing on your own accord Mm. so like again so timely the Friday before my waters broke so the day before a friend who I'd reached out to to tell her that I was I think yeah, I must have told her, or maybe it was on socials, I just happened to put a post out. I don't know if I'd done that yet. But anyway, this friend was from Newcastle. Her sister lives in Newcastle and she just happened to see her and she's like, Tash, I've got, I'm coming down from Newcastle. Can I drop the milk off? I said, oh, I'm not going to need it for a while, but yeah, why not? Like I've got it in the freezer, I've got it. And then literally like for my waters to break. So I had colostrum, which I was super lucky to get. And yeah, some EBM, so express breast milk. So, yeah, really lucky um, that I got it so early and just by chance. And then I obviously, you know, posted on socials and just um, rallied the community together to try and get um, some donated breast milk. And I, mm. I am really fortunate that I've st- he's still on donated um, breast milk, not solely. Oh, wow. yeah, yeah, not solely because um, there's so much I learned about <laughs> breastfeeding that I thought I'd never have to learn but I'd had to because unfortunately he got something that's called lactose overload which is basically where there's two types of milk in the breast high milk and poor milk I can't remember which one but one's full of fat and one's not and you don't mm. know what you get when you get donated breast milk and generally mm. speaking if the mother's got an oversupply it's probably more of the um sorry the sugary milk so it's mm. not going to fill him up and it just bloats them because it's full of lactose so at the start, I think he was on a lot of donated milk that was, um, yeah, just like had, didn't have any fat contact, so it wasn't satiating him and it, his mm. tummy was quite distended and bloated oh. and he was in a lot of pain. Yeah, so I, I learned that the hard way, unfortunately. Um, we got, went through a few bouts of it just to try and find his happy medium of what he could and mm. what he couldn't take. But, yeah, so we have to use formula, but um, which mm. is fine. Um, I just yeah. wanted a bit of both. I... I mm. I'm a firm believer I wasn't breastfed um, and um, I have a lot, a lot of gut issues and I think the breast milk can just hope, help coat the microbiome and just help settle the gut a little bit better. I'm hoping for his sake anyway because I know my tummy's a little bit tricky and if I can do anything to help him, I'm not saying it's going to work for sure, I don't know, but it can't hurt mm. to try, I thought. Um, yeah. And so much I learned in terms of like we were using breast milk from different mums and I was giving him a different sachet from different people, like literally every feed. And so that we learned quickly not to do that and try and stick with the one donor and try and use her milk for a period of time and then swap over. So we're pretty fortunate. We've been we've got like three or four donors that um we've been managed what we've managed to find one's just ending and we've just found a new one who lives literally like 10 minutes away so we're going to try her out and see and funny enough her son's name's oliver and he's five months so they're two weeks apart like 
Oh, wow. <laughs> yeah, I, I mean, wow. now, you know, Oliver apparently is the most common name of 2023. But anyway. <laughs> I, didn't, I didn't know that. He's the first, he's, he's the first Oliver, AJ. He was the first Oliver that I knew of 2023. This other one's the second one. So Thanks. I don't know about that. <laughs> but, yeah, so that's a lot of the research I did. Like yeah. I was pretty adamant because I couldn't breastfeed. I wanted to be able to provide that for him in some way. Yeah. And a lot of women, you know, and people were like, why are you so adamant about it? And I just think just let me be. It's just something I, I wanted. And yeah, mm-hmm. I, I'm like, I've been really great. I mean, really grateful about the generous generosity of people that just mm-hmm. willingly to help out. It's such a beautiful feeling. So yeah. 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 So it's been great. I, I love how you've been able to source, as you said that, and so close by as well yeah. from, yeah, mum's giving forward. It's like, these different communities got these overlapping communities haven't you because you're from the breast cancer community as well as then a new mama and then a new mama yeah. who's got these challenges as well um did you take breast milk into the hospital when you went in for labor did, um how did how did that work and yeah great question <laughs> um so yeah this is a this is a sticky point because a lot of hospitals don't allow um you to bring in foreign milk basically that's not yours um so I may have had to label it as mine <laughs> um just off the record maybe on the record you don't know what hospital it is so it's all good um but yeah so um I had chatted to the team there before I went into labour, funny enough, literally the week before because <laughs> I had mm. so much time. Um, mm. I said, this is what I'm thinking. Is this okay? And they said, yeah, um, no, but yes. And so, um, yeah, that's what I did. Um, I had a lot of conjecture when I was in there by um, the nurses particularly, I'd say. Beautiful nurses um, mm. but not reading my file and, like, one of them I remember came in and he was screaming. He was, like, literally a day or two old and we couldn't settle him and she said, I'll put him on the boob. And I literally I literally said to her, you put him on the boob because I was just no sleep, you know, tired and mm. totally that I never had. Like, I was supposed to have so much rest. And, yeah, she just looked at me and she said, no, it's your baby. You can breastfeed him. I said, well, I can't, so maybe you can and she just looked at me and I, and I, I'm never rude like that with anyone, but I was just so agitated and mm. just frustrated because of the assumption that everyone can breastfeed. Um, so she wasn't necessarily saying put him on the boob as a comforter. She was actually put him on the boob to feed. breastfeed. So she yeah. hadn't, hadn't e- at all read your file or understood. No. And either or if it was even for a comforter, like, um, I hadn't actually been told to do that. Um, and I found out that I could, but he didn't want it. Like, because mm-hmm. babies want to smell milk. And if there's yeah. nothing there, they're going to be like, that's not comforting because it's something yeah. to suck on. But I want something out of that. Like, especially when you're a couple of days old, they just want milk. They just want <laughs> so, milk. That's it. It's like, yeah. there's no milk coming out of that. How is that going to comfort later. me? Yeah, yeah, 100%. 100%. So I did try it just out of my own sanity and just to know what mm-hmm. it felt like. But it, there was nothing. Like, he wouldn't even latch on because he was just like, what is this? And I was like, that's just traumatizing for you and me. Let's, let's yeah. not go there. Yeah. But yeah, so there were a few instances like that. That was probably the worst one. Um, mm. And then there were, you know, other situations where it was just, um, you know, in, in casual, you know, passing by comments like, oh, the lactation consultant will come and see you. I was like, no, they won't. Oh, yeah, sorry, they'd say. I was like, yeah, no, it's fine. Um, mm. You know, things like that. It was just, it was a bit tricky um, navigating what formula to use and like, you know, things like that that I just don't think 
in a situation like mine, if you're not using breast milk, I think it's really um really daunting because you don't know really what's out there and you're just trusting whatever nurse you see at that time to give you the best mm. advice. So I did a lot of research beforehand. I like to be well prepared. So I knew exactly what formula I was using. I knew a lot of these things. And funny enough, when my waters broke, I sent my husband to the chemist. I'm like, these are the brands, get this type of formula. <laughs> and yeah, so I, I had an inkling, but um, it happened really quickly. And yeah, that was just a bit of um, a bit of a hard time not being able to breastfeed, I felt like I was really missing out. Um, and then I got to mum's group at six weeks. He was six weeks old. And a lot of the mums there who I'm very good friends with now, we've got a great group of um, mums, which is absolutely beautiful. But funny enough, they, a lot of them tried breastfeeding and it just wasn't for them. So it, it's mm. kind of like, not nice to hear that, but you know, maybe it wouldn't have worked out anyway, but it's when the opportunity is taken from you and you never had the chance to experience it. Um, yeah, that that's 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 really hard. Yeah, yeah. And did any of the nurses or any of your team talk to you about that? That kind of, you know, how you might feel as part of that as well. Was there a, a discussion around that at all? To be honest, no. Um, no, no one ever really. Um, yeah, no one really asked me, and I didn't realize I was so upset by it until I got home mm. that it was something that I felt like I was missing out on. So I struggled a lot, to be honest, with the birth itself because he was the emergency mm. Caesar and it was a lot to deal with because, mm. you know, I I don't I hope this doesn't sound vain, but I feel like there's, I can say three things on top of my head. I don't know why I'm thinking of two at the moment, but, you know, as a woman, we can have babies, we can breastfeed, um, you know, we have, we have, feminine features as part of us mm. and then when you're stripped from most of all that like I just mm. I, I don't know if it's the physio in me but I just wanted to feel what it felt like to have a baby like to push a baby out because I knew I'd never be able to breastfeed and then when I had that stripped from me it was just like oh come on life like what is this body like come on and um so I was dealing a lot with that that I don't think I thought much about the breastfeeding part because I was still mm. I'm grieving the fact that I couldn't give birth, even though I know in hindsight he's healthy, he's here. I, I don't regret anything we did. It was what mm. meant to happen, but it's just at the time I was just a bit sad about that. So mm. um, no, no one asked me and no one really checked in on me. I end up seeing someone just for my own due diligence just to help deal and grieve with that. But apart mm. from that, it was never something that was addressed. No, no. And I think that feels for me that there's a bit of a, a bit of a gap there, <laughs> like especially like the first thing is, you know, the acknowledgement on the file that it is on the file and making it more prominent for because, you know, these medical professionals are very busy, aren't they? So picking up a file, it's not always really overtly um, uh, visible, maybe, but um, to know that as part of that care. But yeah, to have those discussions and about how you might feel. Because I think as well, what you mentioned there, just it's completely understandable, isn't it? And it's like saying, well, you can grieve that, but still agree, you know, and still be like, that was the right idea. It doesn't have to be one or the other, does it? We're really complicated. Things can overlap <laughs> and it's okay to have those. But sometimes if you haven't seen anyone or talked to anybody about that, that can be really hard to deal with. Yeah, 100%. And I'm glad that I do share my story. I mean, I probably am not on socials so much as I you know, was once upon a time before Oliver and just because I'm too busy, preoccupied with him, which is great. But I have shared a bit about my story and I will continue to share more about it 
in terms of even the fact that I've used donated breast milk and whatnot, because similar to what you said, like, unless you hear about it, like it's not, people don't check up on the breast cancer patients who want to have babies and in terms of their options. So I've had a few women reach out and be like, Oh, I didn't know you could do that. Or how are you doing this? And it's quite nice. Like, you know, to, to know that, you know, um, you're, you're helping share this beacon of hope or light that other women didn't know about, or, you know, maybe in their heart of hearts wanted, but didn't know how to go about these sort of things so yeah I think it's it's really nice and that's why I do what I do you know um but yeah, yeah it's not it's like a, like you said it's gap in the market if, if it's called if you call it a market but um it's not something that's addressed at all and mm. even the fertility part you know I, I'm grateful that I've got a oncologist but I actually swapped my oncologist and I know my other oncologist I shouldn't say I know but I don't think that they would have probably mentioned that so mm. um yeah, it's it's really important to have a team working for you um, on all on all levels. <laughs> yeah, that in real individualized, personalized, and holistic kind of discussion, isn't it, about where your life is now, where you hope for it to be in in the future, and does that include having children or not? I mean, I know I did have that discussion with my medical medical oncologist, and I was quite a bit older than you <laughs> when I was diagnosed, but it was it could have still happened. So it was like a kind of a, still a discussion. I was really felt fortunate that they didn't just, um, they didn't just, uh, uh, sign me off, you know, like oh, just that's kind good. Of write me off. Yeah. Yeah. Not sign me off, write me off. Yeah. I know what you meant. Um, yeah. <laughs> um, but, and I love, thank you so much for sharing Tash. I think it is like you say, people to hear this story and hear this, this hope and yeah, you know, who, 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 who may not have know about milk donations that can happen or that you can have these discussions with other people and find out and find yeah. the other little, little Oliver down the road. It was only two, <laughs> only two weeks different. I know. You, you literally like small world. <laughs> yeah. Right. That's meant to be, isn't it? Completely. <laughs> thank you so much, my darling. Um, thank you so much for sharing your story with us. I know that this is going to be, it is a beacon hope of hope for other women um and other families that are out there and I really do appreciate you sharing that with us um what I wanted to just ask though as well if I could yeah the fruit the, what happens with the frozen tissue then that you had taken is that something that then you you revisit I don't I don't know about these things so yeah good good question um it's still in storage so we pay storage fees for it like we do with our eggs and it's sort of something that you like you just don't want to not you know you don't want to chuck it out because yeah it's pre um well it's not pre-cancer tissue because it's you know but anyway it's it's pre-chemo tissue is what I should say yeah um yeah but yeah the idea would be I keep it until I'm happy with my family and then yeah Mm. um if we have to use it if I want to fall pregnant again and if it doesn't happen naturally we might have the option of doing another egg collection or Mm. using one of the eggs that we've got or mm. um, using that tissue. That tissue is, they say, the last resort. So I've had right. to, I'm pretty sure I've had to have tried IVF and so forth. But, yeah, um, something like that anyway. But, yeah, yeah, it's there in storage if we need it. Um, because I've got my period, I believe it's not necessary because it's I've stimulated. Um, mm. But it would be, yeah, I'm not too sure what happens if I go into menopause, if they can still put it back in and if it can help. Mm. I don't think so, but I was told, and this is why we went on the egg collection um, train, because mm. if you're in menopause, 
um, you can still have a baby. So if I, if they were to put the egg back in me, um, I would still be able to have the baby because it's been fertilized. Whereas you can't get eggs. You can't, you know, create the eggs when you're in menopause. So yeah. yeah so if I've got that bank, then I've got more chance of being able to have a kid, say two years later, even if I was in menopause. So that was the idea behind that. But um, touch wood, not in menopause. I remember yeah. um, I had a lot of medications when I was on chemo to help protect my eggs and I went into chemically induced menopause which was horrendous and I'm not sure if you know what I'm talking about or if you can relate at all oh so horrible like you know wet sheets and just crazy and about a week or two I think after Oliver was born it was the same thing and I rang my oncologist going oh my gosh is this something sinister why am I going into menopause like is this the baby just you know brought it on and she said, no, I think it's actually just your hormones playing havoc. And my OB was the same. And they said, let's just see how it goes in the next two weeks. And thankfully, it all settled down because <laughs> I was like, I cannot live like this. This is crazy at 33 or 34, you know, like, oh, anyway. So thankfully, that stopped for now. So hopefully oh, it stayed, yeah. all, stayed put for a little bit longer. <laughs> yeah, hopefully, yeah, it's a long slog from 33, isn't it? <laughs> exactly. That sounds like, oh, my gosh. <laughs> Oh, I'm glad it all settled down for you. Yeah, that, that's all good. Especially imagine having like all the hot flushes and a newborn to deal with, like trying to sort out your sleep. Oh, my washing between him and vomits and poos and whatever, and then me and sweat. I was like, this is a nightmare. Like, and my husband was like, what's going on? You're changing pajamas and, and sheets like every day. And I was like, yes, yeah. I am. What of it? Yeah, exactly right. <laughs> like a human washing machine (laughs) (laughs) oh thanks lovely I am really pleased it has settled down for you and um, thank you and I just wanted to ask if I could if you don't mind me asking you mentioned about having gene testing at the at the start of our discussion um did you did you have genetic testing uh done then yeah so I had all the genetic testing done possible except for a gene called the tp53 gene I'm Mm. not too sure if you're familiar with it but um I was negative to all genes and I just chose not to have that gene because it's supposedly, um, from my understanding, if you have the TP53 gene, it usually ha- usually will get a cancer, uh, I believe, when you're younger, so as a child, but not necessarily. And because I was younger, as a younger adult, they thought maybe it could be a thing. Mm-hmm. But you're also susceptible to multiple cancers or many cancers down the track and you can't do anything about it. And I was like, mm-hmm. I don't really need to know about that if I have it. So I just said that's a gene I just refuse to get tested for. Um, mm-hmm. for I think understandable reasons. But, mm-hmm. yeah, I don't. Like, I like to prepare and plan for a lot of things, but that's definitely not something I, I want to know about. So, yeah, yeah I don't. they don't believe that there's a gene that they know of, but I'm convinced that there is a gene because my dad had the rarest type of cancer um in the stomach and I had the rarest type of breast cancer so I don't think and he was 54 unfortunately when he passed and I was 29 when diagnosed so I don't think there's there's a lot of rarity (laughs) in this gene so I think I do believe there's probably one they just don't know about yet yeah so you may have an unknown gene that they 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 aren't can't test for yeah and I do believe that there's some research to show that there's a link between the stomach and bowel and breast cancers. So I was like, well, that's kind of interesting because he's my dad's mum and dad passed away from pancreatic and gallbladder um, cancers. Yeah, so a lot of stomach and bowel and and breast. Mm. Yeah, yeah. So Mm. I don't know. I I say there is, but not that we know of just as of yet. 
Okay. Okay. Thank you. Thanks so much, Tash. Thanks, lovely. And, and what adventures have you got set up next for your beautiful little family? Um, so just keeping riding the wave, really. Um, I love my job. I love my work, but I love my son. And it's like a love that I never knew. And um, I've always thought I'd take off the whole year to be with him. And that's so far staying true. Um, you know, every milestone we we rolled, um, was it yesterday? Yeah, yesterday oh, for the first time. You? So, Yay. yeah. So all these little milestones are so exciting and I'm so happy that oh, I'm there yeah. to witness. Um, yeah. So, so, yeah, I'm just honestly just taking it easy, taking it slow. Um, he's the mm. best reminder to be slow. Um, mm. And it's quite funny. He loves nature and whenever we go for a walk, he always looks up. And one of my favourite sayings is, you know, especially when I was travelling, never forget to look up. Because, you know, your perspective is different. You never forget to look at the beautiful blue sky or if you've got a canopy on top of you. And he always yeah. does it. And I'm like, it's like you knew when you were in the, I don't know. He's like, this, yeah, it's so, it's so beautiful. So, yeah, I don't really have any, you know, um, you know, uh, crazy plans. Like I will go back to work because I do love it um, as a lymphedema physio and cancer coach. The beautiful thing about the cancer coach part is I do it from home. So I do it mm. literally from this chair. I'm mm. close to him. It's mm. really convenient. Um, yeah. And I've recently just started a mums and bubs Pilates class in my community because I couldn't sit still. And it means that I can exercise and he can come with me. Oh, <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. That's the <laughs> Yeah. Mums and bubs Pilates. Yeah. 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 <laughs> uh, and you'll be able to, I'll put a link to uh, Tasha's Instagram on the episode notes so okay. you'll be able to you'll be able to see that and you'll be able to just have a look at Oliver <laughs> AJ and just obsess with him because he is the cutest um <laughs> thanks again my lovely thank you so much it's been wonderful to talk to you and um I know we we all openly share but it is still really personal to do that and I really do appreciate it so very much so thanks so much my darling my pleasure as I said like I'm always happy so happy to share because you never know who can hear who might hear this and pass on this mm. story to a friend or a relative or you know anyone of that sort and you know hopefully remember that hopefully beacon of light or hope that you know that you know I've got a positive story and I'd love to be able to help someone out um yeah. if they're going through this at, at a young age or at any age really yeah and you do so much and that it's one of the things we say isn't it you know that you know nobody wants to be in this this breast cancer club <laughs> in inverted commas but it's like if you are you get that kind of the the closest community supportive community that you can get I believe I truly truly believe the strength is in that community and collaborative sharing inclusivity I love it so much I couldn't agree that, more yeah yeah sorry I was <laughs> gonna say not that we have to have the community but the fact that we do it yeah oh it's beautiful that we do <laughs> <laughs> thanks my darling thank you so much so thinking of community now and thinking about wrapping up this um podcast as regular listeners know I ask guests to share a lyric or a line <laughs> from a song or poem and it's the thing that everybody stresses about <laughs> um which is that there's no need to stress nobody needs to kind of burst into song or anything like that but what would you like to share uh, Tash with listeners I, it was probably so Elton John is one of my one of my favorite artists and even more so after or during my diagnosis and afterwards and I'll never forget February 2020 I think I would have been like not even two weeks post-op 
of my surgery and Elton came to Sydney and um, we watched him live. We were three seats from the front, like three rows, I sh- sorry, I should say from the front. Fantastic. Danced all night, had stitches in, had like, it was so horrible, horribly painful, just took my painkillers and had the best time. But um, the song that I've chosen, well, the lyric that I've chosen, which I think really resonates, resonates with me and I hope to a lot of survivors um, out there is from I'm Still Standing and the lyric is, you know, I'm still standing better than I ever did, looking like a true survivor, feeling like a little kid. And those lyrics mean so much because every time I hear that song, especially when you're on the flip side of it, which mm. hopefully we all are, you know, at one point in time, it's so true. Like I, I genuinely believe that cancer is the best thing that's ever happened to me. I'm such a different person to what I was before and I'm thankful for it you know like for the people I've met like yourself to the profession I'm doing which I never would have thought in a million years I'd work with oncology mm-hmm. you know so it's changed my whole life but definitely for the better and it's also taught me to have fun because life's too short so those lyrics are just so true to life's too short and go out and dance have fun be that little kid play with the hula hoop whatever you want to do yeah. you know like yeah. just be you because there's only one of you and life's too short not to have that person around. It is. Oh, it's beautiful. Beautiful, <laughs> Tash. Yeah. And look up like all of us. Yes, look up. Look up. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. I could just see him doing that now. Yeah. I love that. I love that as well that you went to see Elton like sort of two weeks out and it's done. I'm going, I'm going to go and watch this guy. He's meant to be phenomenal. So um, I'm so pleased that you got to do that. Thank you. Perfect. Perfect. Um, lyric tash completely um yeah let's dance a little bit more shall we absolutely thanks again tash um for joining me today um as a busy mum and a busy not meant to be working but doing all these other things as well (laughs) (laughs) meant to be on maternity leave but yeah doing all these wonderful things as well so thanks again so much for joining us today and thank you to listeners for listening as always if you've enjoyed this episode please follow rate share and review any reviews that are left against the podcast on spotify or apple make the um make the podcast more discoverable to other people in our community so um it's not all just about the numbers of getting up to number one which we'd love but it's about you know making it more discoverable to other people and as always let me know if there's any topics that you would like me to cover in the future so that just leaves me to say thanks again tash thank you so much for having me You're welcome. And thanks, everybody. Bye now. Thank you for listening to the Rewritten Me podcast, produced on the traditional lands of the Kamaray Gal people of the Gurungai tribe of the Eora Nation. If you found any of the content upsetting, please reach out and get help. Breast Cancer Network Australia have a free confidential helpline, 1800 500 258. And Beyond Blue have a range of free resources online at beyondblue.org.au or you can call them on 1300 224 636. And a reminder that the information in this podcast does not constitute medical advice. For personalised medical advice, you should seek a consult with a FRAX qualified surgeon or an equally qualified surgeon in your country.